Good morning and happy spring to you, church. In the book of Acts, we see the beginnings of the early church, and we see there these foundational traits that made it possible for that small group of people that began as they stood there on the hill watching Christ ascend, multiply into this beautiful body of Christ. What were the foundational things that made that early church a church? And if we don't need to reclaim them, maybe we just need to reassess their value and embrace them more fully for ourselves. Today, I'd like to look at the first of those pillars of the early church. It says in Acts 2.42 that those individuals devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What exactly does that mean? What does it look like? Is it available to you and are you taking advantage of it? Is it available to others that you might need to make it available to? Let's take a look at what it means to be devoted to the teaching. First, there are a couple of components of this simple phrase where it says there that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The first word is actually pretty important in and of itself. They were devoted to it. It wasn't something that they were flippant about or haphazardous. It's not something that they just did because it happened to be Sunday. It's something that they devoted themselves to. They were invested there. They found an importance. They found it to be a value to actually uh, set aside their time to invest of themselves, to devote themselves to teaching and being taught. I don't know about you, but most of us here in the U.S., there are certain days of the week in which we devote ourselves to the teaching, <laughs> especially if it's teaching uh, someone else teaching us and not simply sitting alone with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. We do those things, what? We do those typically on Sundays and maybe Wednesdays, right? Um, those are the days in which we devote ourselves to actually coming together to make sure that we are all aware of the treasures that are ours in Christ, but to be devoted to something means that, I mean, around here, I live in the Southeast, and around here, we are devoted to athletics. <laughs> we're, we're devoted to, right now, we're devoted to baseball. We're, we're devoted for, to the Braves. You know, we have our teams, and we have our sports, and, and if it's Saturday afternoon in September, then most of us are devoted to football, and that's just what we do on Saturdays. It's, it means it, we prioritize it. It means it's important enough to set aside time on the calendar every single day. And it's of utmost importance to us that we invest ourselves in it. And the early church, what they devoted themselves to, what was of primary importance to them, was being taught. It was making sure that they understood, that they were aware, that they, they were constantly taking in more and more of the greatness of what was offered them through the Word. And that goes to the next point. They didn't even have the Word. <laughs> They didn't have an entire canonized scripture in front of them. At that point, they didn't even have they didn't even have the letters of Paul. They didn't even have a Paul at that point. You're talking about a ragtag group of fishermen and the things that they said in their own recollections of their time with the Christ. And yet that was sufficient for them to feel as though they needed to devote themselves to everything that could be taught them about this Savior that they now claimed as their own about this Lord that they would surrender themselves to. 
This word, it's, it's the most valuable gift you will ever hold in your hand. And even to this day, there are believers who don't have it. If you do, if you're like me and you have, what, 10, 12 copies of the word on a bookshelf somewhere in front of you or scattered around your, your office or your bedroom, a couple of them sitting next to your bedstand. I've got one in my glove box in my car, for goodness sakes. And of course, we have innumerable copies of it in every single translation at our fingertips on our phones. Do not let the fact that it is pervasively um, uh, graspable to you, available to you, do not let that diminish the value of what it is you hold. There are believers around this world who, who don't have it. I've, I'm constantly reminded of Nick Ripkin's story of that he was in a communist nation and going to speaking to a group of pastors who just for the sake that they were pastors means that it was illegal. What they did was covert. And he wakes up one morning and he, and he walks out of his room and he sees all of these, this pastor's conference was happening in the middle of nowhere in hopes that they wouldn't get caught and shut down. And he walks out into this, basically this field out in front of his room and he sees a man ripping up a Bible and he says, what on earth are you doing? And he says, most of these pastors only have one book from all the Bible. And so we're tearing this one up and everybody's getting a book they've never read before. For those of us who have the entire canonized word in our fingertips right now, what an amazing gift we hold. What a valuable treasure we have. In 1 Peter, we read the words of 1 Peter 1 verse 10. It says, concerning this salvation, um, all this, the, the greatness that is ours, that has been uh, expressed by Peter to the listeners of this letter. He says this, this inheritance, this salvation, these gifts, this wonder, this in inexpressible joy that is ours. He says, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, they searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing them when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. He says, these prophets, they were intentional about, about assessing what it was God was trying to say in their time. But he goes on to say in verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you when they spoke these things. These prophets that he's talking about, I think about Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah's, I give him grief because he was really emotional, but in reading through his book, the book of Jeremiah recently, I thought, man, this guy had a lousy life. He was constantly, he actually, he was just constantly tortured and in a tortured state. And he actually saw all of the, the terror that he prophesied. He was there to see it and to feel it himself. But it says in Jeremiah 20, verse 8, he says, Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. And so the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. And then he says in verse 9, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. There were people who've gone before us who made it possible for us to hold this word, to have this word at all. This is the most valuable treasure you will ever possess. 
and countless others have died, have given their lives, who have been tortured, who have been thrown into cisterns, who, like Ezekiel, has slept on his side for hundreds of days in torment, staring at a, at a symbol in order to try to help us understand, help us know the greatness that is ours in Christ. This word, it is of greater value than anything else on this planet. And God spoke in this word in a million different ways. <clears throat> we see in the Old Testament, we see stories of, of individuals who, who lived out the story, who actually expressed in their everyday decisions and the conditions of their lives, they showed us the gospel. Christ is there from the very beginning to the very end. If you were to look at the, tab at the ta tabernacle in the wilderness, if you were to look at it from a sky view, you know what shape it is? It's a cross. <laughs> you know what, a, what picture that holy of holies expresses to us? You walk into the holy, the holy of holies. You walk into the most holy place, and what do you see? You see the table of showbread on your right. That is the bread of life that was given to us. That is Christ himself right there in that place. You look to the left, and you see the seven-tiered lampstand. You know what that is? It's the Holy Spirit and his pervasive presence in our lives and in our world. And you continue forward, and you come to the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. You know what that is? That is the Father on his throne. So all of that stuff that you read about in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers, when you see the priesthood coming about, when you see all these articles that went into the tabernacle, it's not just some story and it's not a picture and it's not about how a church was built or a tabernacle was set up or how ramskins were put together. It's about how God communes with his people. It's about how God makes a way for unholy people to enjoy a relationship in the presence of a holy God. Every single word of this scripture, it's a story about you. It's the gospel told in a million different ways. And so God, he, he has these visual pictures like he did in the tabernacle. He has people's lives like, like you're reading a biography. He has these pithy little one-liners that he gives you through Proverbs and then very often through Paul. He gives you stories. He spoke in parables, for goodness sakes. God spoke his word, the gospel, in a million different ways for a number of reasons, one of which is so, matter, so no matter how you learn, you learn it. No matter how it is that this truth could penetrate into your heart, he puts it in such a way as to make sure that it does. So he does it to make sure you learn it, but he also does it so that you could see it from a million different vantage points. Have you ever noticed like a 3D work of art in a, in a or, or a jewel or something like that in a museum. They put it in the center of the room, and when you walk into the room, you notice that people walk around it. You walk around it so that you can see it from every different angle. And there are lights shining on it from a million different vantage points. The, the word is just like that. When you look at it from a number of different vantage points, you see things that you didn't see standing in one spot. And so God made sure that no matter how you see it or from what angle you look at it, there is a beauty to be revealed. There is a, a new greatness to be grasped in this word. And so if God told us these truths in a million different ways, doesn't it just stand there logically to be understood that, that we might want to learn in a million different ways too? We spoke when we talked about spiritual disciplines, we spoke about the different ways in which we intake the word. You know, we, we 
We take it in like a bath. We meditate on it. We memorize it. We, we write it on the tablets of our hearts. There are lots of different ways that we can take this word in. But from all the different vantage points that he, uh, that he revealed truth to us, it stands to reason to me that we would do well to, to walk around it ourselves and see it from a number of different venues, a number, number of different vantage points. One of those is in community. Have you ever sat in a, in a Bible study class, in a BSF class, in a, uh, in a perspectives class, or CBS, or, or just, just a small group within your church, and somebody said something and you thought, I've read that a million times and I never once thought that. Community is one of the ways in which we, we can stand and look at the Word and get a view of it that we would never get alone. God's Word is like a treasure chest. And many of us, we open that treasure chest on, a, on a, maybe even a pretty regular basis. But we open it up and we look down inside and we say, oh goodness, how pretty that is. How how useful that is. Not really realizing that this, this is this treasure chest, this chove, it is filled with the most precious and valuable, the most sought after and lovely treasures ever known or compiled. And it it just seems silly to, to just raise the lid on that treasure chest and look in it every once in a while and think about how nice it is. Think about how good it looks. When really we ought to, we ought to just dig into it. We want to go running our hands through every single strand of pearls. There's wisdom in there. There's love in there. There's purpose and there's hope. There's dignity and there's confidence. There's, there's goodness. There is peace in that treasure trove. There's joy. There is victory in there. And to do anything less than to open it up and literally bathe in its riches, it just seems silly to have this of such infinite worth, such transforming value and not look at it from every angle you possibly can and pull out every single great thing in it. In the context of community, we come alongside each other and we, we help one another find the secret pockets, the hidden compartments. We get to enliven each other's eyes spur each other on toward greater godliness. We get to see things through other people's eyes. We get to be impassioned by what impassioned them. Their fire catches us. All right, so say we are adequately inspired to devote ourselves to teaching. <laughs> what does that mean? What do we do with that? Any, any ardent Christ follower then should be looking to devote themselves to these things, but how do we do that? What might it look like? How might we do it together? How might you do it in isolation? 
How might you do it if you have tons of resources available? And how might you do it if you're the only Christian in a hundred miles? How might you do it if you're a missionary who's living in a, in a really tough terrain and the fellowship that meets in your den hasn't grown outside your family this decade? How do you do it then? What could you do? What could you be doing as an act of devotion to the teaching of the word? If you're a teacher, who do you need to be teaching? If you're a student, but there are no teachers, how do you learn? I was in Bulgaria a number of years ago, and we had an event, kind of like an American everything night. We, We had American food and we played games. And we, we, for those of you who don't know, a lot of Americans, we love games. <laughs> and we can sit and play games for hours, and that's exactly what we did that night. We sat and played games with people from the village where we were staying, and, um, and we happened to notice that there was a group, maybe, maybe five of them, four or five pretty young people, pretty young, and... Um, in casual conversation throughout the evening, we had learned that they were not exactly from Veliko Turnover, the, the city where we were, but they had driven a little while to get to us. And, um, and they were very well engaged. They enjoyed the evening, but they, they lingered longer than anybody else did. And eventually, we were the only ones left around our little game table. And one of the young men, early 20s, he turned to us, and in, um, in pretty decent English, he said, we heard you're Christians. They had come that night because they heard there were a group of Christians. And you know why they came to us? He said, we heard you're Christians, and we just wanted to pray with you. This little group of four or five young believers They didn't know other Christians. And we sat around that table, and I have rarely been so moved by another man's prayers as I was that night. Ivan laid his head down on the table, and he didn't even need to hear us pray. He just wanted to know that his prayer was intermingled with other believers. For some of us, for most of us in the U.S., teaching is readily available to us. We can go to our local churches. We can take a perspectives class. BSF is likely offered somewhere very near you, and if not that one, then CBS is probably offered. These Bible study fellowships, these, these collectives, communal collectives where people come together and they study the Word, they're amazing. They're wonderful, and you should invest in them. But you know what? Not everybody everywhere has access to this. I don't know if you've ever heard of TWR, Transworld Radio. It's this amazing ministry that uses the airwaves to reach people that aren't supposed to be reached. Places where doors have been closed, the air is still open. And so what do they do? They transmit the gospel. They record over 275,000 hours of content every single year to be broadcast across airwaves in hopes that other people who have no other access to it might actually hear the teaching of the gospel, the word of truth. You know, that early church, there were many, the classic story of um, 
Ananias and Sapphira, I think it was, who who sold their stuff and didn't give all the money and basically lied about it and died at the doorstep. They they offered this. They they offered anything because it's what the church had started to do. It's what people did. People who had stuff, they sold it and they brought the money to be given to people who didn't have stuff. Now, if those people who had things, if the people who had stuff to sell, if they said, oh, that doesn't, I have everything I need. I have everything I need, so I don't, I don't need to be a part of that, you know, needy part. And they just sat on that saying, thank you, I don't need anything. But they never looked to see whether or not other people needed something from them. We here in the United States, we who have the entire word at our disposal, we who are followers of Christ who have been raised up with just foundational, wonderful, incredible teaching, literally at our fingertips every minute of every day. We are a privileged people, just like that early church who had properties to sell. And if we just sit on it and say, I'm sorry, we don't, I don't need anything, so thank you, but this, this particular teaching doesn't apply to me then you know what we're doing? We're just enjoying the blessing without realizing we're blessed to be a blessing. We're holding on to our property saying, thank you, I don't need anything, not realizing that we're not being asked to take something. We're being asked to give it. Just because we have teaching at our disposal does not mean that everybody in the whole world does. I've sat across from missionaries People who came from Christianized countries where they had theological degrees and they enjoyed the benefits of conversations with fellow believers and deep dive studies of the word. And they went to somewhere where Christianity was not prolific. And it literally took a decade before there was a single convert. I just can't help but imagine that that missionary who has been meeting with the fellowship of believers who lives in their house and not one single other, I cannot help but believe that they would like to be reminded that the church exists outside their home. I can't help but believe that they wouldn't like for somebody else to be the teacher this week. That they wouldn't love it if somebody would come along beside them and say, let me tell you about what I have mined from the treasure trove today. If you've been a taker of teachings, then maybe you need to find a way to be a giver. You don't believe you're called to be a teacher, okay? Can you join the classroom? Can you just share what you have with somebody who doesn't have it? The reason why this word sits in front of me right now is because men like Jeremiah, the word burned like a fire in their bones. And indeed, they could not keep it to themselves. We're called to learn in community. We're called to look at this incredible gift from a million different angles from all the vantage points from which God presented it so that we might mine it for all its greatness. And there's some stuff you've been looking at for a little while and you know how great it is. And I would have never noticed it. I would have never seen the beauty that was laying there. I would love, I would love for the church together to become a place where we, where we had teaching from all over the world 
I have no idea what this ministry will become, what God has in mind here. But just to give you a taste of the vision that he's given me, how would you like to sit in in your own homes, whether, whether there's a local church you've been thriving in or you haven't met another believer in your life? And you sit and you listen to teaching from from believers who don't look like you and they don't sound like you and they extrapolate the word for you in a way that you never would have thought of, giving their own cultural spin to it and, and helping you see things that because of the way you were raised, they never stuck out to you. And Google Translate has, has every single word that they speak coming up in the language you do. And you spend a whole weekend at a Bible conference. Maybe you gather with a small group in your home And you watch someone all the way around the world teach you of the greatness they've mined from this treasure chest. It's so easy, even for the technologically impaired such as myself, even I can realize that'd be so easy. Maybe you could go to your local church and I know that you should, but if you can and these these wonderful teaching opportunities are available to you. Maybe it's time you're, you've taken, you take that blessing of your own and you realize that you're blessed to bless somebody else who doesn't have that. This is an invaluable gift we possess here. And we should devote ourselves to digging into it with all that we are to mine all the greatness that it is. Do that in private. Do that with the Holy Spirit. Do that every day. And then come tell me about it. Combine it along with me that you might show me the secret compartments that I'd never known were there. Let's be the body. Let's be the church as it used to be and share the blessings of the teaching of the Word.